Fezzik, my way is not very sportsmanlike. <laughs> and then he decides, I'm not going to throw this rock at you because that's not what's fun. Before we get into today's show, let's take a moment to talk about why we're here. Caleb and I like to use these table topic episodes to share some of the experience that we have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. We understand that the advice we give and the opinions we share may not be applicable at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal, and that's the motto of our show, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So no matter what game you play, what system or edition, or what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, if you're having fun, then you're doing it right. And with that out of the way, on to the show. Welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and I have brought along with me today as I... Crap, it happened again. You're not Caleb. I can be. No, no one can be Caleb. No, that's he right. He has a special place in my heart. I, I like being right more than, than that. Well, he tries, but, you know, there's only so much one person can do. <laughs> but anyway, I have with me today from the Sharkbone podcast, Devin. Devin, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. So hopefully you guys are already familiar with the awesome Sharkbone podcast. Uh, it is one of the affiliate shows in our, our network, so you should be listening to it. But if you're not, uh, tell us a little bit about what your podcast is, Devin. Well, the current incarnation of the Sharkbone podcast is based around the Sandbox show. Uh, the Sandbox Show is where um, my co-host and I, Christopher, we create a world for people to use as inspiration and um, an actual setting for their games. It's a world that's got a bunch of different districts. Each district focuses on one genre, uh, be it superheroes, uh, fantasy, uh, sci-fi, cyberpunk. You know, there are a bunch of different genres that we have set up in this world. And every week or every episode of the Sandbox podcast. We visit one of those districts and we have something happen from one of the people. You know, they get a chance to work towards one of the goals they got going and they succeed or fail and that changes the world and then we create new locations and NPCs to exist in that world. So, I'm hoping that it is a bunch of inspiration for inspiring GMs, for players, for characters. You know, it's just the idea is it gets you thinking and gives you ideas to kind of spark something so that you can have fun playing games. Which is what we're all here to try to encourage people to do. Now, there's also been some chatter that mm -hmm. you may start an AP podcast within some of those districts. So any, uh, any tips or any uh, insight on what that might be happening or what it might look like if it does happen? Well, Lucas from City of Brass uh, has put together a superhero game using Cold Steel Wardens. And that's uh, he's going to run one for us. And then I'm also putting one together. And it's funny enough, it's also going to start in the Superheroes District. And um, I'm planning on using the Smallville rule system for it. And I 
Don't know how long that one's going to go. We might turn it into a campaign thing. It might just be a one-shot, and then we visit other districts. Um, but, yeah, I definitely want to have some AP going on um, just to show people what can be done with the sandbox world. And if you would like a taste of that, there is actually one series already available. We partnered with the RPG Gamer Dad podcast, which is a, another affiliate of the RPG Cavi Network. <laughs> uh, and we did a one-shot that Christopher ran in the Outer Waste Districts. Mm-hmm. That was sort of, I think, maybe what kind of got the thought going. Like, hey, that was a lot of fun. Let's let's do more of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it uh, it was a lot of fun with Gamer Dad, and uh, I don't know. There were just so many ideas out there, and and the story was just so much fun to play around with. Seeing Christopher's vision of uh, of that district, it, it was cool, and it needs to be done more. I agree with that. All right, well, let's get into today's show. Um, so once again, Caleb was not able to join me. So if anyone out there is freaking out, Caleb is not leaving the show, at least if he is, he hasn't told me about it yet. <laughs> but uh, we just, this is the second week in a row where he was not able to match up his schedule with mine. And uh, we were fortunate enough to have a network of individuals who also talk about gaming who agreed to join me. And that's where uh, Devin stepped in. So what we're going to talk about today, and this is Table Topics number 88, The Matrix. We are going to talk primarily about the idea of making things like difficulty classes, target numbers, saving throws, hit points, transparent to the players at the table with the idea of rather than this being a metagame thing where, because I saw this a lot in 4th edition. When I played 4th edition, it was very common that once you got into a battle, particularly once you finally hit the creature that, or the person that you were attacking, whatever, that the, the GM would write, like as you discovered it, like, okay, I hit a 17, 17 hits, you know the armor class is 17. But it it, it turned into fourth edition a lot of times would be like, oh, his deck save is the worst, so I need to use dex-based attacks. Or his will save is the best, so we should avoid will save attacks. But the idea here is could that actually make the game better from a storytelling aspect? And, and where this came from, and then I'll give Devin a chance to speak, he knows how Caleb feels now, <laughs> is uh, the game Shadow of the Demon Lord. I've played it a couple times now, and one of the things about that game that I really like is every challenge roll, every, basically every skill check, is, a, is 10. Never changes. Just everything is a 10. If it's really hard, you might get Banes, which make it harder to get to a 10, or if it's really easy, you might get Boons. makes it easier to get to a 10. But if a die roll is called for, you get a 10, you know that you succeeded. Kind of similar to Savage Worlds where most things are a four unless you're directly challenging someone. The idea that came up from that was if you're the player and you roll your skill check and you get 10 or higher, you already know if you succeeded. You don't have that mother may I interaction where you roll a skill check and go 14 and then the DM has to say yes or no. You know right away. As soon as you roll the dice, you know what you got, you know if you pass. So that could potentially encourage that player to, to continue the narration and just narrate what happens. If they succeeded, they can narrate in their own terms what a success looks like. If they fail, they get to narrate what the failure looks like rather than that giving that over to the DM. So my question for you, Devin, is have you ever done anything like this before? Have you ever seen anything like this before? And what are your thoughts about doing it? Do you think it's a good idea, a bad idea? And, and you know, could you see yourself doing it? Uh, I actually have done it before. Uh, it's first comes to mind the, the Smallville role-playing game, the Cortex Plus dramatic role-playing flavor of Cortex Plus. And any time the, the players are trying to do something that's not against directly against an important 
NPC, which is called a feature, then um, the DM just rolls, or the GM watchtower, whatever you want to call him, he just rolls the trouble pool, and that is always rolled first. So he's setting the difficulty, and then takes the two dice that form the difficulty, puts them there, and says, okay, make your roll. And so you make your roll, and then you know what the number is you have to beat, and then so you can roll choose the dice that are your results, and then narrate your success or failure, whatever happens. And I really like that. I really like being able to uh, say, okay, player, uh, this is what you have to meet on your dice in order to have a success or a failure. So now it's all in your hands, because I really like it when players get the chance to narrate what happens to their character after a given roll. So I've, I've never had the chance to play um, Smallville or the Cortex Trust Plus drama system. We we started an AP with you that, for many various reasons, just never happened. It, that actually happens a lot. Unfortunately, I have several people <laughs> who have agreed to run games for me, and it's never happened for one reason or the other. So I wasn't familiar with that setup. But again, I know Savage Worlds does it. Most things are a four. Mm-hmm. Shadow of the Demon Lord does it. Most things are a ten. Sounds like Cortex Plus. It could. It's variable, but it's still a known entity on the table. Yeah. When the when the player rolls, and one of the things that came to mind for me is I I am trying to get my players to take more control at the table. I want them to feel comfortable and empowered to to narrate things that probably in most traditional games would be under the purview of the DM. And I think this is a great way to, to let that happen because it's probably not going to break the game. So like the idea that comes to mind first for me is like a, a rope climb check. If it's something that requires a check, because again, I think as DMs, myself included, we ask for too many roles. We should just let certain things happen. <laughs> if someone is a, is a level three rogue with a 16 dexterity, they should almost never have to roll a climb check unless there's a, <laughs> something crazy going on. But we all do it. So anyways. Funny story. Yeah. It, in, most, in most games, and even the, the games I run, I would say, okay, give me a climb check. They would tell me what they get. And if it's a failure, I would narrate what failure looks like. And if it's mm-hmm. a success, I would narrate what success looks like. But why not let the player do that? Because that, that allows them to sort of build the world a little bit and, and talk about them. Like, they, they may see failure differently than I do. I may go for a joke and say they fall on their butt because it's funny, but maybe they want to bring up something traumatic that happened to them as a child, and that's <laughs> why they fail, because they remembered that time when they were climbing vines in the, the backwoods behind the farm with Susie, and Susie fell to her death. I'm never going to create that for them, but if I let them take those moments to add to the world, who knows what crazy cool stuff could be created by just giving them the freedom to narrate things that in the big picture aren't that important in how they're described. Yeah. I mean, the players have their character in the game. That's all they have. So whenever we as GMs narrate their successes and failures, we're a little bit, even though they might not recognize it, we're stepping on their toes over control of the character. But when we give them the opportunity to say, hey, what does this success look like? Hey, what does this failure look like? Then they get to expand their character a little bit more and say, this is, this is what my character looks like when they fail. This is what they look like when they succeed. And then also, uh, I hadn't considered them adding in backstory bits, and that's really awesome. And I, I really hope that happens more often because that's awesome. Yeah, I, again, it, it could be, uh, but I think with all things, it comes down to the table. Some of your players may take this and run with it and think it's awesome, and other players may be like, I fail. 
I did make it. <laughs> yeah. Or I climbed up, you know, and you know, that, that, that is what it is. You know, you're going to have some players that do well, some players that, that don't. Uh, I don't think that's a reason not to do it, but it is something to be aware of. So let's, let's move it over. Cause I think we both agree that for skill checks, it's, it's not a bad idea at all to at least try it. But what about things like hit points and armor class? So let's say that we're fighting the big B E G. Mm-hmm. What if you just started off the battle saying, okay, you're fighting him or her, it, you put down the table, it has 22 armor class, 180 hit points, and this is, these are its, its stats. My thought is, is that makes it sort of a very metagamey sort of situation that they're going to look and go, okay, well, it's dex is worse, so I'm going to use dex-based attacks. Mm-hmm. But it could be really cool because as they're attacking, they already know if they hit, and they're going to know as it gets closer down on hit points. So, so I, I think like ultimately what I'm getting to is the person that, that would take it out knows that they took it out. Mm-hmm. So when they roll, they see the hit. They ha- it has eight hit points. They do nine. They can now be on stage, and they can describe this epic way that their last attack is the one that takes it out. And I think that could be amazing. Yeah. Uh, talking about this, I've actually got some yeses and some noes uh, as far as this goes. But um, the very first one uh, is exactly what you're talking about. It's a yes. If you're playing a tactical game... This can help add to the fun. It can help add to the tactics, and it can incru- it can improve the story as far as uh, that tactical game goes. Because you know, tactical games they can turn into I attack with my sword. Okay, I hit. I do fifty points of damage. Uh, I attack with my sword. Eh, two less than his armor class, so it just rings off of his his uh, shield or whatever. But if you've got the right players or if you encourage your existing players enough, if you don't think they are the right players, then they could very well turn into this. They can look at the different stats that that character has. They can look at what their character's abilities are and try and figure out, hmm, well, would my character have figured this out yet? Maybe, maybe not. If they haven't, what can I do to to figure this out in the story and to know that, okay, well, now we know what his weakness is. Now we can go for it. And you can cry it out to the rest of your your group and say, uh, this is what he's weak for. Go for it. You know, so it, it gives you different directions to kind of take the story uh, as you're moving through this tactical battle. That kind of makes me think of, like, fate. And I have this weird relationship with fate is I love the idea of fate. It, it, fate, when I read Fate, it, it really changed and opened my eyes to a lot of different ways that I can make other games better. But I have yet to play a game of Fate that lives up to my idea of what Fate should be. That's a separate issue. I just like to say that. But Fate <laughs> with, with Aspects is one of the things that it kind of makes me makes it feel like you should be able to do it like what I would call a video game bad guy. Like going back to the Metroid games where like you're attacking, you're attacking, you're attacking, and then finally you find the orange spot that, okay, now if you shoot the orange spot, you can destroy it or you can weaken it, and then you have to find the different orange spot. Mm-hmm. And in Fate, you have that where you can you can create an advantage to learn an aspect and learn, oh, this creature is vulnerable to silver. We, we learned that in the story. Now we can use that to continue the, the battle. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about from like, I, I always default to D&D because that's what I play most often, where you could be fighting, you know, attack with my sword, attack with this, but you already know that they're they're probably not going to be a- affected by that, but your character has to learn that through a couple rounds of combat and go, my sword's not working. We need to, tr-. and you know, you're creating the story. My fear yeah. is that people would look at the numbers and then just 
use that information instantly rather than helping build the story. But that goes back to what you're saying is the right players or encouraging players the right way. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I, I think, and if you're trying to encourage your players to do this, if, if in the past they're always like, oh, what's the AC? Okay, I beat it by two. 46 damage. That's what I do. Then you can always say, okay, well, what does it look like? You know, uh, tell me, tell me what this looks like. And you're, you're adding a more back and forth to it. But if they already know all the numbers up front, it's the same number of back and forths as there would have been if they hadn't known those numbers. You're just getting more out of it. I had another yes, as far as this goes, and something that's not quite, it's not focusing on more tactical games. Uh, It's focusing on more like, uh, more of those story games where everyone has control over how the story progresses. Uh, If everyone at the table is acting like a director, you know, if they have more control over what directions the story takes, then having those numbers can help them weigh the different actions their character could take and try and figure out which one would be more interesting as far as storyline goes. So if they've got uh, a killer sword attack, you know, and they look at the, the monster's AC and they look at their hit points and they say, I could wipe this monster out with a single hit. You know, my chances are better than 50-50 to, to hit this thing, and my average damage is like 75% of this monster's hit points. So there's a chance I could take it out in one hit. And then maybe they say, eh, that wouldn't be very fun. So they say, I pull out my dagger, or I throw a rock at it, or I do something else. You know, something, it, if all the players are just sitting there trying to make it fun for everybody else, then knowing those numbers can make it, make it so that every single player can give every other player an opportunity to be awesome in that encounter. That makes me think, I don't know if you meant to or not, but it makes me think of The Princess Bride, which I just watched over the holiday weekend, where uh, Amigo Montoya <laughs> and The Man in Black, they both start dueling left-handed, and then they both change. Like, that's what you were talking about in a way that yeah. you don't necessarily do the most efficient thing, you do the most fun thing in the moment. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, uh, it was, oh, crap. What was Andre the Giant's character's name? I don't remember. Fezzik. Fezzik. My way is not very sportsmanlike. <laughs> and then he decides, I'm not going to throw this rock at you because that's not what's fun. You right. know, it, It's not fair if I just kill you outright. So let's, let's fight man to man like God intended. Uh-huh. Yeah. So for me, and, and, I, and I agree with that, and I think at the end of the day, it, it comes down a lot to what do your players want? And we, we've talked about that a lot on the show, that there are different types of players and there's different types of tables that are made up of different mixtures of players. And there's probably some tables where this would work brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And if you tried it, your players would latch onto it and it would elevate your games to a, to a new height that everyone has so much fun. But there are probably some tables where if you do this, it would be awful. <laughs> and, you know, it just would not work and they, and they would not do what you as a DM hope they would do. And I just, from a storytelling aspect, it probably would grind in some ways to a halt. I guess my overall thought would be to try it. Yeah. One of the potential negatives that I see, and this is from the DM standpoint, is I have said many times that I am not above fudging a dice roll or a die roll in certain ways to encourage the story if I think it makes a better story. If you're making this information public, you just can't do that. We played a D&D game pretty recently with one of my patron groups, and this is the idea had started to percolate. And in that game, I did something I don't usually do, and one of the players even called it out and said, why are you doing this? 
is as they were rolling things, I would tell them before they roll what the DC was. And that's kind of what we're talking about. I would say, okay, you need to make a skill check. The DC is 15. Mm-hmm. And I would tell them, ahead of, and, and one of the players would go, well, you've never done that before. Why are you telling us the numbers beforehand? And one of the reasons is that you know if you succeed or fail. I can't behind the screen decide, well, 14 is close enough. Or I may say, well, you got a 16, but I kind of want you to fail because I think it would be funny. Mm-hmm. Like, it is what it <laughs> is. And, you, and you know, I can't change it after I've told you the number. And then... Going back to the hit points, I, I've shared an example from the One Shot podcast, uh, actually the companion critical success that James D'Amato talked about, where in one of their games, uh, the party was fighting a bad guy they had been chasing for a long time. And it was a personal nemesis of one of the PCs in the party. And James manipulated how many hit points the creature had because technically it should have died the round before the arch nemesis, or I guess the the his arch nemesis should have died before this character got to go. So he basically gave it some just imaginary hit points to make sure that the right person got the killing blow. Cause that made a better story that the person who had been chasing this character for, you know, years and years in game terms was able to take it out and they had their moment of vengeance. Mm-hmm. I personally agree with that. I think that's a great time where fudging a dice roll makes sense Though you could argue that if they didn't get the killing blow, that could create a better story because now the paladin may be upset that their buddy did that, and that, that takes the story a different direction. Fair enough. But you can't do that. If the AC's on the table and the hit points are on the table, people know what happens. So as a DM, do you, do you is that a plus, a minus, or net neutral for your ability to manipulate the story behind the screen? I think it depends, honestly. In some games and with some groups... Uh, that is going to be a detriment because they're going to want and they're going to expect a certain type of story. And then if dice rolls kind of mess that up because you're not, you know, guiding Lady Luck, uh, then it will take things in a completely different direction and they'll be like, oh, okay, didn't see that coming. I guess that'll be fun. We'll see how that goes. Uh, And I just totally derailed my own train of thought and in some cases it could be a good thing because why would it be a good thing i can't think of you know there are times that i fudge dice rolls uh, but it's usually to say okay this is kind of a chump way for a character to go out or um i'm trying to play a game with my seven-year-old son and if he fails again we'll have a meltdown you know, there there are a lot of reasons to fudge dice rolls in order to keep the game and the story going. I mean, as you guys say, never... Well, I'm going to change a bit what you say. Never let the rules get in the way of your fun. You know, I'll always, always say, is this going to be fun for everybody? Is this going to... Are we going to have fun with that? And, and, you know, I obviously I agree with that because I'm, I'm someone who will fudge die rolls. But at the same time, you could still kind of do it because I, it's, and this is something I see where it's just like a cognitive dis, dissonance thing. People don't quite understand. The DM is still making everything up. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's still the day. So if you really want someone to succeed, you could just make the DC 9. Or if you really want them to fail, you could make the DC 24. <laughs> but you still have complete, almost, almost complete control on whether or not they succeed or, f- succeed or pass. It's just generally the DC is supposed to be 15. But if they roll a 14 you think it's close enough and you think the story would be better if they succeeded here than failed, which yeah. again goes back to really, you probably shouldn't have even asked for a role. If that's the case, you should have just let them succeeded. 
but sometimes it, it's just it's so ingrained in our heads we don't think about that till after it's too late. But armor class and hit points is is different because that one, if it's on the table, it's on the table. You don't get to change that in the in the middle. You could give advantage or disadvantage maybe to try to if you're playing D and D of course uh, to try to steer things in the way you want it to go. But it does give you as a DM much less control to use the screen to hide what you're trying to accomplish with a given battle or a given point in the story. And I think for some DMs, myself included, that could be scary. Uh, we, I like the fact that the screen lets me cheat in a certain way. It's, it's a comfort level that I have, but if it's gone, I mean, it's just gone. And, and it, you, I don't think you can do it half and half. If, if you started doing that, I think that people would realize quickly, well, why is he not telling us what this hit point, this creature's hit points are, Versus something else. I think D&D might not be the greatest game to do that in. Because in D&D and, and other D20 games, well, uh, quite a few of D20 games, you roll the dice and that's it. That's your result. You're done. Uh, there are other games and there are some versions of D20 where you have the ability to change what you got on your D20. And I think those are the systems where knowing what the DC is and knowing what you have to roll is really going to shine. Because then you put the onus on the player. You say, all right, this is the number. This is what you rolled. It's your choice. Are you going to succeed or are you going to fail? Because they have willpower points they can spend. They have action points they can spend to modify that result. You know, they're in, in all those systems, there are things they can do to decide whether they want to succeed or whether they want to fail. And I think those those are the times where them knowing all of the mechanical bits, the mechanical stats for their opponent is really going to be a boon. So I, I know, again, going back to fate, because fate is one of those where you always have the point. You can spend fate points. You mm-hmm. can tag onto aspects that exist. You know, you can choose to use them now or not. Again, I'm not the most fate-educated person in the world. I'm trying to remember when we played fate, do you generally say you need to roll for that and the target number is legendary or whatever. Like is, is it usually known before you roll in fate what your target number is? Yeah, it is because then you have the opportunity to spend your fate points to invoke aspects and, uh, you know, grab boosts and things like that to modify your number. Okay. So yeah, so that would be another example of when it would work or not. So, so I think for me at the end of the day, this is something I definitely want to try. And I, I should be running a game soon. We are we are gearing up. I know I've been saying this for a while, but the holidays <laughs> have really jacked things up. But we are gearing up to start a new campaign story uh, that we're going to record for the show that I'm going to be running. I don't know what system it's going to be yet. It's probably going to end up being D&D just because that's what I know so well. But there's a chance we may move it into a different system. But I really think I want to try it. One, I think for a podcast specifically where everyone knows we have an audience. We are trying to be entertaining. We're trying to be storytellers. I think that is the type of thing where it's it's going to be a top of mind that I shouldn't use this knowledge just to kill this thing quickly. I should use this knowledge to tell the best story I can. Mm-hmm. But it's something I definitely want to try. And I think if I'm going to try it, I'm going to try it the whole way. It's going to be armor class, hit points, saves, everything. And, you know, again, if it if it works, I think it will be amazing. If it doesn't work, it's that's still valuable information. Yeah. Yeah, it, it would be good to know. I would, and this is just me talking, but anytime I'm running uh, D&D, I always like putting action points in there. I saw action points the first time in the Eberron Eberan, Eberan campaign setting, uh, but I know that there were a few other third-party 
D20 things that came out that were using action points as well. Because, again, that says, okay, you have these limited points. So you can use them to modify your die roll to determine whether you succeed or fail. It's in your hands. And so um, I think that might that might put a lot of that on the players saying, you know this number, you're trying to beat this number because that's what you really want to do right now. Now you get to make the decision where it, whether it's worth spending some of these limited points to succeed or not. Yeah, I, uh, I stole action points from Eberron early on. I changed them to hero points. For some reason, I just like that terminology better. And I changed them a little <laughs> bit. I, I used them uh, right up until we started playing D&D Next and 5e. I used them all through 3.5 and my fourth edition days where basically the way I would do it is you started each game with your level in hero points. So first level you had one, well, that's third a level lot. you had three. And then um, you basically you got them for doing heroic things, but you could never get them by using them. So if you used a hero point and that took out a monster, then you couldn't get one back. They could never self-replicate. Okay. But then I wanted you to use them. And they went away at the end of the game, so then it would start back at the next game. So they're a lot like Fate points in that way, but I hadn't read Fate yet. Uh, but it was like a, you got to roll a D6 and add it to the roll. So it still was a – it could be a great thing. It could be, you know, plus one, then you still fail on it type of a thing. But yeah, I, I do like the idea of that, though, is you have this limited number of resources that you control – and if you, because that would that would suck, I guess is what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say is like if is the DM, is, or so as a player, you roll and you get a twelve, and I say you miss. Well, you don't know. Did you miss by one or did you miss by twelve? Mm-hmm. Like you have no idea. You just know you miss. So you may say, okay, I'll use the hero point. Okay, you get a six, still missed. That's just awful. Yeah, that's not fun. No, no, it's not. That, that that's not a fun moment. But if you know that you rolled a twelve and a seventeen would succeed. So then you have a chance, you roll that D6, and if you get a 5 or a 6, you hit. That's an educated gamble that you're taking, mm-hmm. that if it succeeds, you are going to feel amazing. Like, I risked that point, and I got the 5. Yes! Like, it, that's going to be a great moment at the table. The energy is really going to go up. You wouldn't have that at all if it, w- if it was just, nope, you still missed. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't. There is one time where I don't think that this would really work. Uh, and this this is story-based, whereas the other no I have is based on your players. But this one is if you are running any kind of mystery game where, you know, they don't know what's happening and they're trying to figure things out, anytime you put numbers on the table to say, all right, these are the stats for this bad guy, that ruins part of the mystery. Because the part, point of a mystery game and the fun of it is discovering things. And so if they don't have the chance to discover that, oh, 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 if we roll an 18, we can take this guy out. You know, you're, you're taking that away by putting the, uh, the stat block in front of them and saying, this is your enemy. I, I agree with that. I'm just trying to think from, again, I, I take most things back to D&D just because that's what I do most of the time. Is if we were going to play a game where I said, okay, I'm going to be transparent with the numbers. If there would be a way for me to say, in this case, I'm not. So then the fact that I'm not using it in this specific case adds to that mystery. Does, does it actually make that encounter more interesting, which is what you're going for? Mm-hmm. Or does it just seem out of place and cheap and lessen the, the feeling from that encounter? I think if you framed it right, it could be really awesome. If you've got, if they're going up against a dock worker, 
you know, the dock worker's been paid one gold to, to heckle them and to keep them from advancing. You know, then, yeah, definitely put the stat block out. It's just a dock worker. You know, but if they're tracking someone who's always one step ahead of them, always in the shadows, and then all of a sudden they get backstabbed by this guy, you know, maybe he's the big bad evil guy, maybe he's just a henchman, but he's a really, really good henchman, then it would be fun to have, like, the stats on different cards. And at certain points when they learn something, you're like, okay, you get this much more information about this guy. You get this much more information about this this guy. Uh, that could be... A mixture of both worlds, I think. I, I don't think I have enough. I don't have enough empirical evidence at this point to to have a conclusion. But what I thought of as you were saying that would be, what if you had, let's say, you had your your henchman. He's he's a lackey, but he's a, he's the number one lackey. So he's very powerful in his own right. He has a lot of special abilities. He's been the the main foil for the party for a long time. And the first time the players face him. You give them his numbers, but they're not accurate numbers. <laughs> and so they roll, and let's say he has, he has 24 hit points, and once they take out, you know, they, get, they do 25 points of damage, you go, okay, he doesn't go down. Again, is that cool? Because it's like, what the F's going on? Or is it just, eh, the DM's just cheating because he doesn't want us to kill his favorite NPC. But it's planned. Like, maybe you have three cards, and the second time you face them, you give them a card that's more accurate or different. And then the final time, these are the real numbers. And if you get him down here, he's actually down. Again, does that make it better or neutral or or worse? I don't know. Thinking about that from a player point, I think the very first time that guy would come back... After we took him down, we'd all stand around there and be like, okay, so how do we make sure he doesn't come back? All right, everyone just stick your swords into him. All right, this is, uh, he's kind of pulpy now, chunky salsa. There we go. He's not coming back. And then you then you pour the soup into a bag of holding and then throw that into a portable hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you, you know, I, I think in the interest of being transparent, you would want to be transparent with that as well. You know, you give them the card the first time with the stats, they take him out. Great. They walk on, heading on. And the next time they show up, you hand them another card. And you're like, well, this card is more accurate, but it's not completely accurate like the other one wasn't. But uh, uh, this guy has to come back later. So use these stats, take him out, but uh, don't go any farther to make sure he doesn't come back because... I've got something really cool planned for this guy. Let's let's give us a chance to see it. And I think at most tables, they would say, okay, all right, we're, we're going to have the satisfaction of killing this guy, you know, quote-unquote killing, according to the stat block that you put on the table right now. So we get to do all the fun stuff. We don't have to hold back. We can take him to negative 10. You know, we, we get to do that. But... It's just wrong information, so he's going to come back, and so we still get the cool thing of being awesome and taking him out. He's just going to come back, and we're going to get to experience the entire story that you have planned with this guy. Like I don't disagree with that. I just I think I think I'm thinking of a slightly different example. Going back to the one I originally presented, I think now I wouldn't do that. Like I, I do think that it would feel more like a cheat. Like if I said his armor class is 12, but you roll 12 and you miss. Because then that, that's just going to be like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Summer class is 12. Well, the card, you know, I, I don't know that that's going to get the effect I want. I do like the idea, which, which again, this is a different topic, 
But let's say that the the main bad guy is a changeling mm-hmm. or some sort. So they 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 meet the guy. He's very distinctive. He has a scar. He's got like a dead eye, and you know he dresses like the Joker. We know it's <laughs> him. We kill him. He's dead. Okay, great. And then like a month later, he shows up again. So it's not that like you, the numbers were wrong or you did negative ten damage, but you had to do negative eleven. But that's just part of the story that. Did you kill the right guy the last time? Or was that guy just dressed up to look like the guy so that you killed the wrong person? Maybe you just killed mm-hmm. an innocent person. Or maybe there's like a whole League of Shadows, you know, they're all changelings, but they all turn into the same person when they're fighting you. So yeah. how many of these guys do we have to fight? So th- that's more of a story element that really the numbers don't really affect. But I do think that's a cool idea, and I may have to steal that. So uh, no one who listens to my or plays my game listen to this. <laughs> yeah, as as you were talking, I was like, oh, so you're fighting a legacy. So you're fighting the Dread Pirate Roberts. You might kill him and then say, oh, we killed him. But then six months later, he's going to be back on the high seas. Right, yep. That, would, that pretty much would be, yeah, a legacy character is kind of what it is, that you never know if you've actually got the right one or not mm-hmm. until you finally do. Yeah, that could be a lot of fun. All right. So I, I think at the end of the day, we've, we've kind of wrapped around this a couple of times. We both agree that it's worth trying, and there's, there could be fun had by doing it, but there are probably some landmines that you would have to navigate. Any final thoughts on this before we move on to our second topic for the day? I don't think so. I think we've pretty much covered every, every thought I had about this right now. All right. Uh, so as always, we will throw it out to the audience. If you have tried this and it worked or it failed spectacularly, please let us know. And if you haven't tried it, but we inspire you to do so, same thing. Let us know how it goes. And uh, and we will do the same if we try this at our home table and it works or doesn't. I'll, I would love to have Devin back on and maybe talk about this again as a, well, now that I tried it, it's a terrible, terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> or it worked great. But we're going to move on to the, the second thing we're going to talk about tonight. This will be fairly, fairly short, but we, uh, we had a listener send in a comment for a new segment that we could do. And we're going to try it for a little while. Uh, we, we may do it a lot. We may do it a little. We may do it sporadically. But the idea was to do a campaign starter. And this would just be something where it's like a prompt. Uh, I told Devin before we recorded, I remember being back in grade school in like third grade or so, we would have these art projects and it would just be a blank sheet of paper But there would be like one line on it, and it might be like a squiggly S line. It might be like a jagged lightning bolt line. It could just be like a J hook. And the assignment would be just use that and draw anything you want. And that J hook could become a fishing hook with a fish on it. It could be the wing of a plane. It could be the roots of a tree. Your imagination uh, was to take that and make it into something else. So that's what we're going to do with a campaign starter. We're going to offer you something that you can then build on to start off a, a campaign. So, Devin, as the guest, I will have you go first. What is your campaign starter for today? <laughs> All right. So the one I came up with for today is a derelict ship has been brought into the harbor by the current and run aground on a sandbar. Yesterday, the harbor master sent a crew out to investigate. They haven't been heard from since. Excellent. So from the campaign starter standpoint... We don't know who was on the ship. We don't know what happened to the ship. Mm-mm. We don't know what happened to the crew that went out there. That is for you to decide what that means and how that interacts with your story. Though I will say that does sound awesome, and I actually would love to, to play in a game where that happens. because it's, it's such a, I don't want to say like it's simple, I don't want to like degrade it, but it's a simple concept. It's a mystery, and people love mysteries. They want to go, well, what happened? Mm-hmm. And they want to go out and check it out. So awesome, Devin. Thank you very much for that. Uh, mine is uh, f- fairly simple as well. 
you're in a remote village of some sort, and a weather phenomenon comes in. If it's a desert, it's a desert storm. If it's a mountain, it's a snowstorm. And basically shrouds the village for weeks. It just just stays to the point where it's dangerous to move from building to building. And then people start disappearing. <laughs> and that is the campaign starter. So why is that weather there? Where are people going? All that is up to you as the DM. So as always, we'll throw it out to the audience. If you take this prompt and use it for a one-shot or for a campaign, please let us know uh, what happened, uh, what you took that story into, what, what it, how it developed, and where it went. So Devin, any final words from you before we wrap this up for the night? Uh, just that I want to take your idea and put it in a cyberpunk world because that would be completely different than a fantasy. But Devin, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate you coming on today and helping us out. Uh, please, if you guys have not yet checked out the Sharkbone podcast, please do. Basically, if the episode is listed as a sandbox, this is the world creation episodes where they delve into the different districts. They often have special guests with them. I've been on there before. Caleb's been on there before, as have some others. And we help create new places and faces in the district. And, and Devin has a chart they roll on to determine like who gets their way and who's disappointed so that the story is ever changing. Uh, they also have the pod chatter episodes, which I'm a big fan of. And that's where him and his co-host Christopher just talk about something. Uh, it could be hobbies that characters could have. It could be uh, Stargate, but it's just something they talk about. And I find those episodes great. And you also do some interview shows as well. I know you've had guests on that are doing Kickstarters and books. Mm-hmm. Are those labeled something else as well? Uh, they're chum episodes. Uh, the chum show type was created just to be a catch-all you know anything that we wanted to do that didn't fit the uh, uh the structure of the other shows is just thrown into a chum it's our bonus episode content uh, and it's turned into a lot of interviews and kickstarters and things like that so there's there's a lot of fun stuff going on there too excellent all right well uh for Devin, this has been michael and we will see you next time Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google+, 
at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>